what an awesome opportunity we have today to learn from not only the athlete, but the coach and not like the head coach. This is like the life coach. Um, I'm talking to an indie car racer, right? A professional indie racer and his life coach. You're going to get to learn about the background of an indie racer, the physical stress that goes into it and what the training's like going into it. We're going to learn from his coach about some of the things they talk about and how he's able to implement those things into his training. We get to learn from the coaching side as well as the athletic and performance side. And this is an amazing interview. It's the first I, the first time I've ever done this on the show. It's a great conversation. You're going to get a lot of knowledge. Uh, and I highly encourage everybody who listens to this podcast to take notes. If you're on your 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 phone, pull out your notepad on your phone, or if you have a, a physical piece of paper, get ready to take some notes. You'll want to pause and rewind and listen to a couple of the things that they say because there's some golden nuggets that I feel like any athlete or coach can take from this and really implement into their career and enhance what they do. This is the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. Excited for this week's interview. It's uh, a very special one for me. Um, I'm super stoked, actually. And um, as you guys hear in the introduction, uh, we're talking to two different people, and it's going to be a, a dynamic, unique uh, interview for us. We're talking to the, you'll call him the athlete, as well as the coach. And, and, and we'll, we'll kind of get both of them at the same time, which is unique for a couple different reasons. But I'm really, really excited for this. I just want to give a shout out to all the listeners who have tuned in over the last six years. Big thank you to everybody who supported. There's a big reason we're in 180 countries here uh, with this show. And it's thanks in large part to all the guests and the listeners who have shared the content over the last six years. Massive appreciation for everybody. And uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you. And if you haven't done so already, if you could kindly just leave me a, a review on Apple Podcasts, it's the best way to get this thing to grow. Just a simple review helps skyrocket everything in the algorithm. I have no shame in saying that. That's the secret of podcasting. Leave us a review and it goes out to more people. Simple as that. There's no reason on hiding that fact, right? So just if you guys haven't done that and you're listening to this for the first time, I just ask for that. That's the only way. I'm not asking for money. I'm just asking to leave me a quick review and it would help me out. So, you know, a couple, couple years back, I was interviewing... Uh, a guy who was in and he was an indie pit crew member. Okay. And, and that's the, the only time I've ever talked about indie racing at all, any kind of racing, but I heard it from a pit crew members perspective. So today we actually get to hear from someone behind the wheel, someone who's in the, the, the nitty gritty, his name's Stingray Rob and his coach is Andrew Anderson. And, uh, well, do, do you want me to go by Andrew L Anderson or Andrew Anderson? Cause I, I want to the L. Yeah. You can okay. throw the L in there. We, we got to throw the L in there. So I've got Stingray Rob and then, Coach Andrew L. Anderson joining us. And so I want to say uh, welcome to the show, guys. Stingray and Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Shane. Absolutely, absolutely. So interesting conversation here for sure. I want to start with uh, a question for Stingray. You know, you're you're young in regards to age, right? But you know what you're doing. You do it at a high level. And I want to give the listeners a little bit of a background on how you even got into this, the indie racing, because some people don't even realize, like, how does one even get into that? It's not like a quote unquote, I, don't take offense to this, a traditional sport, like the football, the basketball, the baseball. So how does one actually 
like, how did you get into indie race? Like, how did you get so intrigued with this and to where you actually wanted to compete? I'd like to hear that backstory. Yeah. I mean, I think most of your listeners are probably wondering why I have a fake name. Um, but the reality is that's actually my real name, Stingray. Uh, it is a passion project of a name, I guess you could call it. My parents were big Corvette fans. And so they decided to name me after the Stingray Corvette. There's a longer story to it, but um, that's the part that will kind of lead you into how I got started in racing. I mean, I grew up at uh, Corvette club meetings, drag races, autocross events. Um, I actually took my first steps at a Corvette club meeting. And so I, I grew up around these cool, old, fast, loud cars. And from the time I was, I mean, as young as I could talk, probably, I wanted to be a race car driver. And most kids, I think that they want to be firemen. They want to be police officers. They go through different stages. They want to be the MLB uh, superstar, the NBA. They want to be Michael Jordan, right? Um, and mine was racing. And my parents probably thought that it was just a stage I was going through um, until it didn't leave. I was just stuck there forever. Um, but I, I ended up getting my first go-kart for my fifth birthday. Um, and the reason that I wanted to go-kart was because I watched, uh, I don't know if you guys know, but Travis Pastrana, he's oh, yeah. a world-class driver and motorsport athlete. And I watched him jump a go-kart into a foam pit on their, on his show, Nitro Circus. I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. And so I asked my mom without telling her that's what I wanted to do. But I asked her for a go-kart. And sure enough, fifth birthday rolls around, got my first go-kart. Um, and that was kind of game over from there. I started traveling all over the world. Um, by the time I was nine, I'd been to Italy, Canada, and we were spending most of January, February, and March um, in either California on the West Coast or in Florida on the East Coast, bouncing back and forth between those two places because that's where the big international races were, at least for us here in the, the United States, just because those are the areas where it's not snowing and freezing cold. Um, so from there, I worked my way into cars. And then in 2016, it was kind of my transition year. Um, and my parents to this point, they'd been funding my career all by themselves. And so they had uh, a small grocery store right on the Idaho, Oregon border. And I would work there when I wasn't racing and when I wasn't in school. So I would throw freight, uh, bag groceries, push shopping carts, help out wherever I could. Um, and then I'd go drive on the weekend and then play sports, whatever else in the meantime. But, um, the the 2016 season i i drove everything i could i didn't know what sport i wanted to be in as far as motorsports goes so i did dirt cars i did nascar i did go-karts in europe i mean i was driving for a factory team based out of italy um i also drove some formula cars i did some sports car driving and i just wanted to try it all because i wanted to make sure that whatever path i chose was the one that i wanted to be on for my career um so formula car racing was the one i decided to go with just because um was my go-karting background I love the the sort of feeling that I got with quick initiating turns, you know, for a, a heavier, um, more production style car. A lot of times the weight of the vehicle is what makes you go slower. And so the turning speed is not as quick as it is in a formula car versus um, the straightaway speed is probably more relative. And so I just love that high G force, high grip feeling. And so that's why I went to formula cars. And then from there, I went through a program called the road to Indy, which is a ladder system. So it's a lot like um, any other sport, like you said, like the, the typical sports. So like baseball, they have single A, double A, triple A majors. And as a rookie, you climb that ladder to get to the major leagues. Well, for us in Indy, the in road to Indy, uh, we had USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000, Indy Lights, and IndyCar. And so for the last two seasons, I've been in the Indy Lights category, progressing on to IndyCar. So this will be my rookie season in the, the major leagues of IndyCar. Wow, dude, there's so much like I'm like geeking out because there's so much to take in right there. 
how it all started. You, you, you name dropped Travis Pastrana. Like, so he was, before he got into like the motorsport, like he was always the, the motorcycle guy. Like he was the dude who initially was the one who did the backflip, but then he broke his leg or whatever when he was Correct. trying to do that. And then that's when, uh, who was it? I can't even remember. Was it Mike Carey Hart? I can't remember whoever did it first in the X games should have been Travis who did it first, but he broke his leg. He couldn't do it in there, but then he was doing all the backflips and he was like the, yeah. he revolutionized that entire sport. Then yeah, he was doing racing and everything. That's crazy. You name drop them. It's cool to see. It's cool to see like where that, that, uh, and it seems like it started from basically birth. You know, it's the same thing. I tell my, <laughs> my parents, I, I came out the womb as a Cowboys fan, unfortunately, but that's like, it's similar to you. You came out the womb and you're kind of right in the racing game. Now, Andrew, I want to kind of talk to you as well. I I've, uh, I've known Andrew for, I think the last two, two, almost three years now. I, I, I was introduced to you from a, a friend of ours. His name's Jordan Morehouse. Um, Jordan's one of my best friends introduced me to you. Um, and I was able to take advantage of some of your services and it was unbelievable. So I want to know about from the coaching side and how you in your coaching, uh, became connected with Stingray here and, and how that, that intertwined. So how did you utilize your skill set to connect with Stingray? Well, I met Stingray when he was just a punk teenage kid and his <laughs> uncle had signed him up to come to a class that I was teaching about uh, how to prepare yourself as a teenager, or a young adult to, you know, really have the life skills you need to succeed. And then uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, he was introduced again by his uncle and said, I don't think you need to teach him a class. I think you need to coach him. And so for the last two uh, Indy Light season, I've been able to work with him in his personal life and uh, behind the wheel, uh, taking all those principles that we have been working on and breaking through limiting beliefs and any negative emotions or things that might be holding him back uh, inside and outside the car so he can fulfill his life mission, which is pretty remarkable to to behold. So it's just been an absolute pleasure to have Stingray as a friend, to go mountain biking with him when we want to just be friends, and to coach on the phone and and uh, help him do the the things that he's doing, which are just absolutely amazing. You know, Andrew, to, to piggyback off of that, because this will kind of roll into my next question for Stingray, you mentioned some of those, uh, like the things that you're trying to help them with in the in the coaching side of things. What's one thing specifically that you guys have worked on so that the listeners are hearing this are like, well, is he a strength and conditioning coach? Is he a mental coach? Like, what is he, right? Because sometimes they may not know. So what's one thing that you've worked with Stingray on? Then I'll kind of piggyback in that to let Stingray kind of elaborate on how he's implemented that into his, his racing career. Well, with permission, Stingray, <laughs> uh, this last season, uh, you had not gotten onto the top of the podium. You'd been on the podium in other positions and you were just, you wanted to win. And we talked about what it's like to have faith, not to win, have the mindset of letting go of trusting for you and I, that, you know, that source, our creator God, and just recognizing that if you're not supposed to be on the top, that it's okay. And so when we finally got to that place of letting go, and just trusting God's will and knowing that you can do your absolute best, but in the end, you can't force anything. He ended up winning that uh, second to the last race of the season by how many seconds, Stingray? I believe it was 11 seconds. 11 seconds. And most of these races are won by how many seconds? Probably less than one on a lot. Less of than one. Because once you get the lead, you just keep it. But Stingray, when he learned this principle of truly letting go, he was able to take that lead from one to two, all the way up to 11 seconds, which I don't know if you're saying this publicly, but it may <laughs> have been the thing that allowed you to go from your second year in Indy Lights to being a rookie on a team with only two seats yeah. of only 27 in the entire season to, to be able to perform at the level that you're performing now. So that's just one quick story. And Steenrake could probably share his own version, but Shane, that's what we talk about is the mindset of champions. 
to be able to perform at the levels that we want to perform. Yo, that's so powerful. So I'm going to get into this thing, Ray, and kind of break it down from your perspective there if we can for a second, but like, that's awesome. So Andrew, thank you for sharing that because I always talk to my athletes that I coach. I coach, I, I coach club basketball at the 17 year old level. So these are kids that are varsity seniors in high school and so forth. And we talk like the mindset is something that you can talk about it, but, um, some kids get it and some kids won't get that uh, some, because they think they have it and then they hit adversity and it breaks uh, and they just, they crumble. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a coach. Like, like I'm not a life coach. I'm a basketball coach. So I'm, I can share experiences with them in my own life, but sometimes they need that extra person to be able to, you know, articulate it in a way in which they can understand it. And not only that, they can implement it and absorb it. The other thing I wanted to say is what's crazy about this is when I was in a church meeting, just yesterday, the time of this recording, it's on a Monday. So yesterday I was in a church meeting in our service and we were talking about trusting the Lord, trusting our creator after doing all that we can, like after doing all that we can possibly do at that point, we just have to, you know, execute with what we're doing in our lives and so forth. And then we have to trust the Lord's will. So what's crazy about you saying that you didn't know that when I was like asking that, like I didn't, we no. didn't talk about that. No, no. We were discussing that concept and, and how hard it actually is. That was the conversation. Like, yeah, it sounds great. It's awesome. Like, yeah, do all you can. But it's as an athlete, even it is so hard to like say, like, I've prepared this, 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 and this. I want to win. Like, I'm not going out here, blood, sweat, and tears, not wanting to win. Same thing in life. And so it's hard to trust the Lord's will sometimes. So going into that stingray, I would like to kind of elaborate and piggyback off what Andrew said. So when your coach is discussing this and and you're, you're okay. You're having faith and, you know, saying, okay, it's okay. Whatever the Lord's will is, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to do all I can. And I'm going to, I'm going to compete at the highest level, but I'm okay with it being the Lord's will. I guess, can you talk to us about your mindset there? How did you implement that into your actual life? And two, maybe give some advice to those that are out there. Maybe there's athletes that are wanting to do the same thing and maybe what you were able to do to implement it and, and actually take action with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this is something that I've worked on throughout my entire life. I mean, as a young kid uh, going through go-karting, I went through a lot of the same struggles. I've always said that racing has the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and it's how you handle both that gives you success. Um, and as a young kid, it's easy to uh, not get distracted with the things in your life, right? Like there's so many things that go into making a good driver or any athlete good, right? They have coaches and the physical training, the mental side, the the basketball coaches, the strategy side, the, the, you know, the nuances that go into every sport. Right. And so this is just one aspect of that. And I think it's a very important aspect because it changes the way that everything flows together. And so, um, this is, this has happened in stages, I feel like as well, um, that I've had to go through and trusting God with the results. Right. Um, I'm going to jump back before I actually started working with Andrew. Andrew has helped me not get beat over the head with a stick with what God's trying to tell me. He helps me answer a little quicker, I think, which has been nice. Um, but before that, um, in 2020, I was in the Indy Pro 2000, which is the double A ladder. And I was going into my third season there, and it was kind of a make it, make it or break it year for me. Um, and in the first three races, I had finished fifth, second, and tenth. And after that tenth place finish, I mean, it was no one's fault but my own. And 10th is terrible. I mean, like that's the bottom of the barrel. It's as worse as I could get. Um, and I started like second or third that race. So it's like, what happened? What disaster caused that to happen? Like flat out, I just drove terrible. I went off the track. I ran into someone. I spun out all in the same race. And I, I got out of the car, went to the trailer and I threw my helmet in my little cubby and my driver coach was there. 
and he didn't have any words for me. He just shrugged his shoulders and walked by. I'm like, all right, I need to go for a walk. And so I went for a walk and there's like this tree area outside of the racetrack. And I just took a knee. I'm like, all right, God, like, I don't know what to do. I have given everything for as long as I can remember. And I'm either not good enough. Someone runs into me. Uh, mechanical failure happens. Like, it's just, I, I can't get it. I'm not good enough. So I have to give it to you. And like in that moment, I had uh, James 1 come to my mind, which is consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And when that verse came to my mind, it was a realization of like, oh, wow, this is all for a purpose. All these struggles, all these hardships that I've had, it's been preparing me for what's to come. And it's prepared me to trust God. Because I know that he's been faithful through all of that, all of my mistakes, all the failures, and yet I'm still here while I'm at. Um, and so I think that was kind of a turning point for me to like the the door creaked open a little bit of like, okay, are you going to trust me or are you not going to trust me? I ended up winning the championship that year. I won the, the race the very next day. Um, and I think that I had to go through that the same thing with this last season with Andrew because I'd just come off a rough 2021 season. 2021 was probably one of my worst racing seasons of my life. I struggled a lot. The team struggled. Um, I had a teammate quit halfway through the season because he just didn't want to run anymore. He didn't think it was worthwhile, but I had to persevere through it because I knew that like what I learned in those moments was going to be more important than what I learned in the success, the successful moments. And so going to this last season, like Andrew said, all I wanted to do was win. Like that was the only thing that was on my mind. I changed teams. We were with a good team. I finished third in like the first, uh, three out of five races of the season. So I'd stood on the podium. I knew what it looked like. I knew where I needed to be. And I was just making small mistakes here and there. And I'm like, I'm doing everything. I don't know what else to do. And I think that there was a conversation somewhere along the way with Andrew, where I was like, I feel like I am ready. And I don't know why it's not happening. And I think I, I can't repeat everything that was in that conversation. Andrew, I'm sure you remember, but uh, it was, it was good to put it into terms where I could, reflect and say, okay, God, like I have done everything that I need to. And it's, I don't deserve anything. And it's because of your grace and the freedom you give in our faith that I'm able to do what I do and be successful in it. And so I know I can't win races on my own. I'm not good enough to do that, I guess. So I have to trust you with all of that. And that allowed me to race in a way where I didn't, not so much didn't have the pressure. The pressure was still there but it, it wasn't carried by me. Um, and so it allowed me to perform at a higher level. You know, I think that, uh, you know, we just watched the Super Bowl, right? Pat Mahomes is a great example of that, his faith coming through his playing. And I think that uh, as any athlete, it, it pays big dividends to have that faith, that freedom, um, because you know that your identity is not secured in your results. It's secured in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. And I think that, Realizing that and making it actionable steps to doing that is individual to each person, but it's also probably the hardest thing that you could ever do because we live in a very physical world, right? Um, say I want to win a race. All I have to do is beat the guy next to me, right? But that's not how everything works. There's so many more steps and issues and things that we have to deal with on and off the, the racetrack. Um, and so I think that that's, that's what's cool about Andrew is that uh, we talk about balance a lot of the time. And how is my personal life versus my racing life? And I felt like we got to a point during the season where I was like maximizing 
both, at least to what I knew at that time. Um, and that's where I had to, to turn it over to what wasn't physical, what was based on faith. So anyways, I hope that answers. Yeah, that was fantastic, man. I appreciate you elaborating on that response. That was phenomenal. No, Stingray is, uh, with most sports, there's a lot of training that's involved. And, and you, you mentioned a couple of times after referencing scripture, you, you mentioned perseverance, uh, like the word persevere came up a couple of times and sports. It's interesting because it teaches us a lot of life lessons. That's why I do this show. I want to talk to athletes. I want to talk to coaches. I want to talk to sports figures because it teaches you a lot of life lessons. Perseverance is a big deal. It's a long-term thing. Cause like you said, the highest highs, lows, lows, it's valleys, peaks and valleys. But like the whole analogy is like, that's what a heart rate is, right? You have a heart, but you don't want it to yeah. be a flat line because flat line's not good in the medical field. You want it to be beeping. Um, yeah. It's just how do you get up to those? You know, when how do you get out of those valleys? Like it, that's kind of the question, and you have to persevere through the tough times. But I want to know, like, from a training perspective, right? Even when you're having a bad time, but maybe you're high highs, lows of lows, but training, you're consistently going and going. So I want to know from an indie car racer, like an indie racer, what's the training like for you guys? Like. You mentioned G forces and stuff. Here's the deal. I don't like being in fast cars. I'm completely different than you. I remember one time <laughs> leaving. It was my last year, my my last day of my freshman year of high school. My kid had a Honda, or my friend had a Honda CRX, which I thought was the coolest car back then. It was a little tiny car, but he had it all doped up and everything, and he was ready to go. So we gunned it, and we were going 100 miles an hour down one of the back roads by Eagle High School here in the Treasure Valley, oh, Idaho. Man. And I was so scared trying to act cool in the front seat of the car my throat was like closing up my heart felt like it was going to come up out of here and he was turning i'm like dude my mom would kill me right now he's like just like turning this thing i couldn't do it i didn't like the feeling but you mentioned all these things and so i just was like you know what i want to know what the physical because i remember what it did to me physically for like 10 seconds i want to know what it's like to do the physical training and get ready for this and that like in an indie race and like the mental preparation and stuff and then i'm going to ask andrew like from a coach's perspective on, uh, as a, as a life coach over here, what it's like to watch from the outside after he's helped you with like prepare for these things. So I want to hear about your preparation uh, going into these types of things. Yeah. Um, I think racing first off is underestimated as a physical sport because any athlete has to do the, the minimum, right? You have to be able to pick up a basketball before you can shoot it. You have to be able to swing a bat before you can hit the baseball. Um, and so there's a lot of workouts that are required to, be the most efficient at each sport and racing is i think that to an existential level just because it's it's uh very focus driven your mind controls what's happening on the track more than ever and um there's so many variables that are constantly changing on the track i mean wind direction temperatures tire degradation fuel loads um all those things are factoring into how fast you're going around the track not to mention the 26 other guys that are trying to drive you into a wall so there's a lot of things that are going on around you all the time. And so the physical side, it has to be so second nature that you don't have to think about it. You don't have to think about, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm turning the wheel, but I can barely hold on. Or I'm pulling so many G's, I can't hold my head up anymore. If that's happening, you're already two steps behind. Um, and so one of the things that I've done to help me with that. So I, I've lived in Idaho most of my life. That's where I'm born and raised. That's how I met Andrew. That's where all my family's at. But recently I've moved to Indianapolis, which is kind of the racing hub for IndyCar. I mean, obviously Indy, Indianapolis, it's all the same there. Um, and so while we're here, there's a gym called Pit Fit Training that specializes in training drivers and pit crews. And so, uh, I mean, right before we got on this call here, I was at the gym for a couple hours getting ready to, you know, prepare and get ready for the season to start here in a few weeks. Um, and we go through different blocks. So a lot of times 
we're training like endurance athletes would, you know, um, high cardio days, um, interval training, and then we'll also do basic cardio days. So our heart rates during a race are anywhere from 150 to 180 for at least two and a half, two hours ish. Um, and the temperatures inside the car on a hot day are usually around 115. Um, cause we have three layers of clothing on plus a helmet, gloves, leather shoes, um, Nomex underwear, everything. So we're very insulated. There's no air conditioning in the car and the Indy cars. Now they've introduced an aero screen, um, to protect the driver's helmet and head because it used to be as an open cockpit car is what they call it. And any sort of debris or whatever would hit the helmet of the driver and at speeds of 240 miles an hour, it doesn't take much to do a lot of damage at that speed. I mean, even a, a small piece of carbon fiber that's as big as your hand could kill someone just like that. So um, they've introduced the aero screen to, to promote safety in the series. But what it's done is it's added another le- level of fitness that's required to drive the cars because there's no forced air coming into the car. So instead of the temperatures being 100, they're now 115, 120 on a hot day. And so part of our training is, is that we need to um, work on being fatigued but also doing what we call synaptic training, which is training uh, reaction timing with uh, lights and other various things, and then go get in the sauna for 30 minutes and overheat ourselves and then do it again. And so there's a whole list of things that we'll go through a weekend um, where it's weightlifting, cardio, heat training, focus training, all this stuff that's required to drive the, the race car. Goodness, dude. I like that stresses me out. You mentioned your heart rate <laughs> being from 150 to 180. I literally, okay. I'm not, I'm not built like a runner. I'm like six two, two twenty five. Okay. I'm not like, I'm not this like ripped dude. I'm kind of a bigger built guy. Right. But I went and I ran five miles on Saturday without stopping. Right. I'm, I'm trying to run. And when I, I, for just to put it into perspective, if anybody doesn't understand my average heart rate was like one sixty for the course of the 45 minutes that I was running. Okay. Cause I'm not running very fast. Like I'm nine minutes a mile or whatever. I was so spent after that. Like that's how, and the fact that you're and then not, not only that, like I had, I had my sweatsuit on from boxing that I always like to wear my sweatsuits on. So I'm, I'm running and I felt like I was hot there. The fact that you're saying like, and you got a helmet on and you, dude, for two hours, I like, that just doesn't, that is, I can just imagine how beat you must be afterwards. So like when you're saying that, that is what I'm glad that you shared is because I want people to un- understand the physical nature of racing. Cause a lot of people would just be like, you're sitting there, put your foot on the pedal and go like, what's well, hard about that? The, the yeah. pit crew does all the other stuff. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, I'll add, I'll add one thing here. So when you go on a run, do you ever feel like a runner's high? Do you ever get that? Like where you hit a rhythm and you're running and you yeah. feel like it's, it's not easier, but you're just in it. You're in the rhythm, yeah. you're in the zone, right? Well, in racing, we try and avoid that because the moment that you hit that runner's high, it's what I like to call brain fade. And you'll see it happen with racers all the time. They'll get late stages of the race and then they'll overheat. Their heart rate is elevated. And they get that mental fog, you know, that runner's mm-hmm. high, that, that zone, whatever it is. And they'll lose track of the variables that are around them. They'll fall into a rhythm and in a car that's detrimental because every single corner, something is changing and adapting. And so if you're not paying attention completely to all the little details, that's when you're going to make a mistake and hit the wall. And so as a, as a driver, we're, can, we're trying to train so hard that we're avoiding that. We're trying to underperform once we're in the car, if that makes sense. Totally. So it, it should be easy once you're in the car. So that 150 to 180 heart rate at 115 degrees, that's a no no big deal all day long sort of a day. And we have to train hard to get to that point. So oh, that's yeah. what makes it so difficult. Oh my gosh. That's it's so cool though. It's so interesting to me. And Andrew, as a coach, you know, 
from the outside looking in, you know, I want to know from your perspective, you know, as you watch, you know, you, you, you teach guys like Stingray and you're, you're, you're working with them and then you watch kind of some of the competitions that he's in and you're, you're maybe you see some of the races and some of the results. And I want to know as a coach, how do you adapt to the, to the individual? Like, I can't imagine it's just a blanket here. We're going to talk about these things and it works for everybody. Like, you know, knowing from my own coaching experience on a different type of a level, you do have to make some adjustments and so forth. So like knowing what they're going through and talking to your client and so forth. I want to know from a coaching perspective, especially with a, with an indie racer like Stingray, how do you make the necessary adjustments to like try to help him? Cause you just heard all the things he has to go through, like in his preparation and his training. So how do you make those adjustments as a coach? So it's all based on asking the right questions. If we use the uh, car as an example, it's always giving Stingray feedback. Every decision that he's making consciously and unconsciously is coming because of the feedback that he's getting from the car or from his engineer who's in his ear telling him things that, that is happening in the car. And it's the exact same thing with a person. If I can ask the right questions that can elicit the, the right feedback and they're being honest with me and vulnerable, not trying to hide something, then we can gain the perspective that we need to make the adjustments that are necessary in someone's life. So the, uh, the, you know, the analogy between the race car and the track is a beautiful analogy. In fact, Stingray is writing a book about it and, and how we can navigate life. And it's just such a pleasure to work with someone like Stingray who is in such high integrity and is willing to be honest and vulnerable with me so that we can make sure that everything, not just his heart rate, but everything in his body, mind, and spirit are on pace and in alignment so that he can do what he needs to do in those moments of stress. And that's the same thing, whether it's a father or a business owner or a race car driver or a basketball coach. Man, that's so, that's so good. And I think, you know, the, the best, I guess, duos in sports, you know, when you talk about coaches and, and athletes, coaches and quarterbacks, they talk about Drew Brees and Sean Payton. And you, you know, you hear about them all, like it, it takes two sides. So you have to ask the right questions as a coach. And then you have someone like an athlete like Stingray who can give you some honest feedback and like really open up, but there's got to be that relationship and that trust. And I guess, you know, Andrew, in, in, in your experience as a coach and not only just with Stingray, but with others as a business coach and everyone else, like you mentioned a couple of different business owners and athletes and so forth, I guess, how do you, uh, cause I can speak from experience that I, I trust you. There's a reason I went there and, and I did a session with you. Um, it was incredible. I trust you. That's why I have you on the show. I think you're awesome at what you do, but in your experience, how did you develop that trust with the people you work with? Whoa, that one makes me almost want to cry. <laughs> uh, you've probably heard it said that you cannot give that, which you do not have. And if we do not get to that place where we trust ourselves, we cannot see someone else's trustworthiness and having gone through my own breakdowns and my own breakthroughs and my own rock bottom moments and living in my parents' basement and having $9 in my bank account, going through the divorce and, and being truly broken and able to build from that place, which is what I get to uh, share in my new book that was released strength of the Oak, strength of the willow, how to find courage and compassion in turbulent world. I share what I went through to trust myself. And until we're able to hold that kind of trust for ourselves, we cannot see it in another or give it to another. That's huge. 
Speaking of now, you, okay, everyone's writing books. Okay, I need to write a book because now I got Stingray writing a book. Andrew has just released his book. I posted it on my Instagram. I want to make sure that people have that. So I'm going to put a link here in the description of the podcast so y'all can check that out as well because I think your story can help a lot of people. That's a, it's a big thing. Like if you've got stories, you got I'd encourage anybody to share it in, on any kind of platform. But if you're able to write a book, awesome because that's that's phenomenal. So we'll put we'll reference that book here in the description. But I love that. I love that having to trust yourself right before you can get that out there. And and, and that's a hard thing. In today's world, it's hard for most people to trust themselves, actually, because you know well, yourself and, better than anybody else. <laughs> and you know, Shane, the funny thing is, is when uh, when a team loses, who's the first to get fired? Is it usually the coach or the quarterback? Coach. It's usually the coach, because yeah. <laughs> everyone knows the quarterback is skilled enough, right? And and so, but but when when the team wins, who gets the trophy and makes all the money? It's not the coach. It's no, not the coach. It's the quarterback. <laughs> and that's the fun thing about coaching, right? Is because Stingray is the one that gets the millions of people following him. And I get to sit back and I get to have the moments afterward where we get to connect and I get to see the joy that no one else gets to see on camera. And not just how it relates to his public figure, but to what it means in his private life, which are the greater victories in my eyes. I love that. Absolutely love it. You know, Stingray, as you as you have continued to build your following and you've got people watching you now as you climb the ranks through the racing game and you're executing at a high level and you're doing this stuff, there's additional pressures that come there and there's responsibilities, you know, as you got the younger generation looking up to you. I mean, there's probably a lot of guys that are, are guys and girls that are watching you and, and trying to see like, hey, how can I be like him, you know, especially in that sport, I guess. How do you live up to those pressures? Like, how do you, you know, how do you make sure that you're being true to yourself and uh, being able to execute and do the things that you need to do in your sport, but also making sure that you're responsible and uh, not being like some, some athletes that we've seen that kind of ruin their reputation. They get, they get a lot of pressure on them, a lot of eyes on them. And then, you know, they're not the best role models. So I guess, how would you go about doing that? How do you go about doing that currently in your life? Um, I love the phrase, the old proverb, there's wisdom in the counsel of many. And I think that that's very true for my life. And I think Andrew is one of those people that's spoken very deeply into my life on that aspect of things of, um, he keeps me accountable and he encourages me towards the right things. And he also calls me out when I need to be, because there's definitely some times when, you know, I can get in my own head and assume that I'm doing the right thing and uh, not ask him for the, the, the correct answer. And he'll let me know, which is good. I, I, I'm very happy to have that. So, um, one thing, as I've learned more recently since the announcement came out that I'm going to be an IndyCar driver this year, is that humility is a very big role in anyone's life, especially at a, at a high athlete's level. Because if you're not being honest with yourself, you can't perform at the level that you need to be at, and you can't make improvements. Um, and so I think that, like Andrew said, it's trusting yourself, but you have to be honest with yourself in order to trust yourself. Stingray, um, I love that you said that. In fact, I was hoping you were going to it's hard to talk about your own humility, right? But Shane, I want you to know when it comes to someone who takes counsel from many, there's no one that's as good as it, as as Stingray is. He is humble. He is coachable. He is yearning and asking not just me, but family and friends and people all around him. He is constantly seeking for feedback from others to better himself in every aspect of his life. So Stingray, I I'm so glad that you said that and you didn't hide behind it because it's, you know, some people struggle to talk about that humility. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. That's, that's huge. That's huge. And I, I don't want the listeners, 
you know, if you're listening to this right now and you're a parent or you're a, uh, an athlete of any, at any level, young, old, whatever, rewind that piece right there and listen to what he just said and what Andrew said about it as well, because, um, it's, it's from what my experience, which isn't a ton, but like just being around a lot of athletes that, that are like the high school age, it's different. It's, it's hard for them to become humble, right? It's hard for them to seek counsel from a lot of people. Some of them talk like they will. And then when they receive the feedback, um, sometimes the, the implementation of said feedback isn't always, uh, applied. So it's like, it's not always happening. So it's hard. It, it takes somebody that it takes a special person like yourself, but that, that's again, now, as I learn more about you in the last half hour, makes sense as to why you're competing at such a high level in your sport. Like that it's the, it's the one percenters that actually get to the high level. And, um, you have to be a unique individual to be able to do that special person. So now as we get to the the end of the interview, I, I want to do what I call the guru's gauntlet where I'm just going to rapid fire a few questions at both of you. Um, and it's going to be a similar question, but you guys can apply it into your own fields of work. So stingray, I'm going to start with you in the guru's gauntlet. First question is what's your favorite racing memory and why? Like what's your favorite racing memory at oh, this man. part in your career and why? Uh, Man, I've been in so many races. I don't know if I have a favorite, but I mean, my most recent favorite is that win that we talked about earlier. Um, last last weekend of the year, finally checking that box off because um, that was a turning point for me. I mean, that was the decision maker on whether I was going to stay another year in that category or move up to the major leagues, take that leap of faith and move up. Um, and so I'll give Andrew part of that credit because he had a big role in that. But um, I wouldn't be in the seat I'm in without that without that day. So I, I think that at any point in anyone's career, they got to have those springboard moments. And that was one of them for me. Love it. Andrew, same question for you. What's your favorite moment as a coach, whether it be with Stingray or any other clients uh, that you, you've worked with uh, coaching clients, what's your favorite memory and why? My favorite memories are when I hang up the phone or we get off a zoom call and I jump up in the air and I give a big fist pump because my client has just learned something that I've been waiting for them to learn. And I didn't know when they were going to learn it. But once that moment happens, that is what lights me up. And I know that something special is going to take place. I didn't know he was going to win by 11 seconds. I didn't know he would be on the top of the podium that day. I didn't know he was going to get the IndyCar contract in a, you know, within a matter of a month or so after that. But it's that moment behind the scenes. It's the private victories that lead to the public victories. And those are my favorite moments. Oh, I love it. All right. So Andrew, I'll start with uh, you on this one, your favorite mentor, like in the coaching sphere for you and your, your realm of expertise, who was a mentor that you've looked up to? And I guess, what was the biggest thing that they taught you? I want to know the lesson that they taught you as well. Absolutely. One of my favorite mentors in the coaching world is Stephen Covey. And I read my very first Stephen Covey book when I was about 24 years old. And he said something that rocked my world forever. And in the book, it's called the divine center. He wrote it way before seven habits or anything else that made him famous in the divine center. He said this, he said, when we describe another person or situation, we're actually describing ourselves. When we describe another person or situation, we're actually describing ourselves that our reality is not what we have just perceived. It's what we have projected from ourselves. So what we see as reality in the world around us is a projection of what we see in ourselves. And as soon as I figured that out, I was able to take all of the realities and the perceptions that I thought I was getting from those around me in situations to teach me what I needed to know about myself and make the adjustments to get back on path and on purpose. 
that is beautiful. I'm not even going to elaborate anymore on that. I love it. I love it. Should we do a round of applause? Yeah, yes, for that one? I wish I had a clap track here. I could, <laughs> yeah, I could that, was, that was baller, man. Stingray, in your career, um, is there any racers or mentors that you've had in your life? Uh, what's the what's your one that sticks out? And the same question: What was something that they taught you? I want to know the lesson that they taught you. It's funny. Andrew and I actually just had a conversation about this not that long ago, and he asked if I knew any racers with a book that I could learn from on habits of a race car driver that led to success. And I said, no. <laughs> um, so it's been interesting learning from people like Andrew. I think that he is a good, good example for me to follow after a little bit and a mentor um, because he's not given me the answers. He's allowed me to search for him um, on how to be successful. And so I, I guess some of the mentors and people that I've looked up to through my career are not so much the race car drivers as much as it is the, the engineers, the coaches, um, family members. Um, so that's, that's probably my answer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, what that means, uh, just the, what that means, Shane, is that he is going to be that person and that will break the cycle in IndyCar and in racing in general. And he's going to, I mark my words, he will have that book. That he will do things because his mission is bigger than just winning. His mission is to bring people to Christ, and that's what he is all about. And therefore, he's going to bring all kinds of people inside and outside of church or religion or any of that just because he is meant to have his message be heard. And so he will be that person that people look up to as that one influential mentor that in, in the racing world. Thanks, Andrew. You know, Ed Milet was, uh, he, he does this keynote speech. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Ed Milet, but I like Ed. He's, he's oh, a little yeah. different for some people, but I, I like the guy. He speaks my language a little bit more. And Ed, uh, he said something about being the one, right? Being the one, it's like that generational shift in your family, if you will. But it's same concept in what you guys are saying here. Like in, in the racing world, you can be the one, that one that can shift. And there's that transitional character is what they call it, that transitional character where you are the one. And if you can utilize your platform, do it, man. And it, and it seems like from what I've gotten to know of you the last 40 minutes, it's been, it's, it, that's not a, what Andrew just said. It doesn't surprise me. Like you will be the one, like you've got a book coming out. You've got the right personality. You've got the right grounding with your relationship with, with the Lord. And you've got, you know, you're true to yourself, which is hard to find these days in my own opinion. So I think it's amazing. Last question for you, uh, both. So I'll start with Stingray on this in, in racing. Yes, you are the one driving the car, but you mentioned teammates, there's pit crews, there's all sorts of stuff. Okay. Um, and when I told you before we, I talked to a pit crew member once and we talked about like the pressures of a pit crew. I want to know if, um, you know, some, they're not going to always do things perfectly uh, and, and that can be detrimental. I mean, seconds, like a second can be detrimental in, in a race. Like you had mentioned before, yeah, you won your race by 11 seconds, but sometimes those races are determined by one, two seconds, you know, sometimes even less. Right. So a pit crew stop or something like teammates might screw up and, I want to know in your career, I'm sure that's happened where, you know, maybe a pit crew member has, they try to put the tire on and it's a little too late or the fuel's not getting or whatever. Something that doesn't go according to plan. And I'm sure it happens almost every race. And then one could be perfect, but I want to know your advice for, and this is for business owners and athletes, anybody who's playing in a team sport or whatever, how you yourself can show support to those teammates, even though you're frustrated and still execute your job and do your specific position, even though somebody else might've messed something up, might've put you at a disadvantage, but how do you continue to execute and get your mind right to where you can still do it at a high level? I'm going to start by saying that I learned this very early on because 
my dad and my grandpa were my mechanics all the way through karting. And so there were plenty of times where I had a tire fall off, the engine would fall off, uh, the axle would break. <laughs> so many things went wrong. But it, it was because I loved those guys that I was able to forgive them and move on. And at some point in my life, I started to see those moments as exciting and challenging. And it was more exciting than it would have been if everything went properly to plan. Um, so I don't know if that was a learned trait over time or if it was just a mindset shift of being okay because I know that they trust me. So I have to trust them. And when they make a mistake, I know that I'm going to make a mistake at some point. So might as well get over it and move on. You know, at the end of the day, forgiveness is the key to success amongst teammates. And I think that um, when it's people that you love, it makes it a lot easier to forgive them. So uh, I think that I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis on this and that there's never a person that you will meet that is not loved by God. Um, and so I think that seeing people with that aspect makes a big difference in how you treat them. My goodness, dude, there are so many snippets from this interview that I can just take as like gold. I've got scriptures reference C.S. Lewis. We've got Stephen Covey. Like, dude, we got everybody. I, I love this. That is beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing that. And Andrew, as, as we wrap up the interview, I want to ask you a similar question. In your coaching experience, there's there's probably clients where you've given advice and you you can give them advice and maybe they don't implement it. Um, and then maybe they put the blame on you, right? Like you even said, like what happens when they don't win? Who gets fired first, right? Coaches always get the blunt end. It's it's almost like a referee. It's like a glorified referee. It's a thankless job sometimes uh, to the public eye. Then you know, it's like it's always the one who gets, you know, the blunt end of everything. So when you have a client in your coaching experience that may not do what you asked them to do, and and maybe they didn't execute well and and whatnot, and you might be taking the blunt end. How do you continue to serve that client through? you know, the best that you possibly can, like giving them your all, even when you're like, man, you didn't do what I asked. And now you're blaming me for it. And those feelings of the natural man come in. I'm curious from your, cause I want to know as a coach as well, how you do that. Cause I want to, I want to get better at it. Well, I'm going to quote uh, one of my favorite up and coming authors. I call him S Ray Rob and uh, you love him. You forgive him and you move on. That's what he just taught us right now. And, and I, I wrote it down. That was meaningful. I'm going to be sharing that. You love them, you forgive them, and you move on. All right. This is amazing. I appreciate you guys. So um, I want to give you guys an opportunity to let me know, like if, for the listeners out there, um, if there's something that we'll put the book there for you, Andrew, for we're going to put the link here below. Is there somewhere that like if somebody wants to utilize your services, Andrew, um, like someone like Stingray, who's like uh, maybe a parent's listening to this, be like, hey, man, my kid could probably utilize Andrew's services. I want to get a hold of Andrew. How can they get a hold of you, Andrew? I want to know what we can put here in the description. Yeah. So they know where to yeah, go. The best way for people to get a hold of me is uh, social media at Andrew L. Anderson 85. That's Andrew L. Anderson 85, or just on my website, AndrewLAnderson.com. The book is on Amazon, easiest place to find it. Strength of the Oak, Strength of the Willow, How to Find Courage and Compassion in a Turbulent World. Awesome. I'll make sure to link those here in the description. And Stingray, where can we find you, man? Is there, do we have social media that we can follow or a website that we can follow you on to, to kind of check out the rest of your journey as you go forward? Yeah. Yeah. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube at Stingray Rob. Uh, I know one of those is like at Sting underscore Ray underscore Rob, but there's only one of us out there that I know of. So it shouldn't be too hard to find me. Um, and then on my website, stingrayrob.com. Um, and if you guys have any questions, I usually am pretty responsive on social medias as well as um, my email on my website. And then if you guys want to follow along on the IndyCar 2023 season, 
We'll be broadcasting on NBC Sports and the NBC Sports Peacock TV app. Um, and then there's actually going to be a documentary coming out some point this year, um, furthering the, the knowledge of IndyCar racing. It's called 100 Days to Indy. So uh, be looking out for that in May, I believe, is when they're going to release it. So uh, first race of the year, St. Petersburg, Florida on March 5th. And that'll be my first race as an IndyCar driver. Let's go, man. Super excited. We'll put all of this into the description for you guys as well. If you guys want to follow Stingray, if you guys want to take advantage of Andrew's services and check out his book, I'm super stoked. I wanted to say thank you. Thank you guys for your time and willingness to share your stories and your knowledge with us here on the podcast. I just, I really appreciate both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. For the listeners out there, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Again, I just asked to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.